We're going to dive into the book of Hosea, if you would like to turn there. And the message will be called God's Love for Prostitutes on the Clearance Rack. God's Love for Prostitutes on the Clearance Rack. Let's pray before we dive into God's Word. And can we just take a moment and just give thanks to God as we're praying 1 Samuel 12, 24, Samuel said to the Israelites, only fear the Lord and serve him for consider what great things he's done for you. Amen. Let's just thank him. Let's continue worshiping him uh, and let's pray and then let's dive into the word. Let's look to him. Our great God and father, we just thank you, Lord. The word says your loving kindness is better than life. The psalmist said, how can I thank him for all that he has done? Thank you most of all for sending your son to die for us, to redeem us, to become a curse in our place, to take all of the wrath that we deserve so that the only thing left for us is the cup of salvation. And as you shared at the supper table, drink this. And the idea in the Greek is drink it to the last drop. Lord God, we do not want to come to the supper table tonight as though it's not all been paid for. Coming up with reasons why we should not feast tonight. Coming up with reasons why we should just settle for crumbs tonight. Lord God, we want to stand on your word and your word alone. And we are here, Lord, to receive from you, Lord. Your word says in Romans 8.32, If you gave your son for us while we hated you, how will you not now freely give us all things? So, Lord, we are needy and you are the need meter. Meet with us here tonight in this place as you already have been doing. Thank you and thank you. Open up your word. Let us behold wonderful things from your word. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God's love for prostitutes on the clearance rack. So Hosea is perhaps the deepest and the clearest portrayal of the gospel in the entire Old Testament. The theme of Hosea is spiritual adultery and God's unchanging love. If you want to write that in your notes, the theme is spiritual adultery and God's unchanging love. And as the songs tonight, how many of you heard those songs before? The songs that we sang tonight. But why is it that every time you hear anything of God's love, you just never get tired of it? Who walked in tonight and said, oh, those songs again? Nobody. We just continue to get rocked. And what's taking place? We're also continuing to say, whoa, Lord, once again, I've downplayed your love. Once again, I've been meditating in everything but your love. We need to continually just bathe in the revelation of God's love. Amen? Are you guys an amen church? I can feel you. You are an amen church. All right. Let's have a good time with that. You know, we all understand you're in a Bible teaching church with powerful teaching, verse by verse. We all understand justification. We all understand that the gospel has justified us, meaning just as if we never sinned. 
When we gave our life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, all of our sins were erased. And not only was our overdrawn account balance deleted, but all of the righteous account of Jesus was credited to our account, right? We understand justification. We understand imputation. We hear the gospel and we say, I'm justified by the blood of Jesus Christ, right? What can wash away my sins, right? What is it? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. However, as we journey in our walk, we understand and we know that we are saved, that we have been spared from the wrath to come, and that we are justified because of the gospel. But as we're journeying, we come to realize as the flesh assaults us and the world tag teams with the flesh and the enemy tag teams with the world and the flesh, and we fumble And there's regrets in our walk and there's old baggage that surfaces and old childhood stuff comes up and all different things are taking place that while we continue to rest in justification and understand that because he loves us, he saved us from the hell we deserve. Do you understand what I'm saying? When we come to realize that we need to grow more in understanding his love for us in our Christian journey, his sanctifying love for us. Amen? Let me make this a little more plain, perhaps. How many of you have an easier time standing on the fact that Christ has forgiven you for all that you did before you were born again, but yet you have a hard time forgiving yourself, perhaps, for things you've done since you've called on the name of the Lord? Does that make sense? The things you did before you came to the Lord. Oh, yeah, I robbed 800 armored trucks. You know what I mean? I hijacked the whole state one time, right? I, I was an atheist and I just, you know, you know, hated Christians and just plotted all night long on how to just attack a Christian. Oh, but the blood of Jesus, right? And even worse things and things that we're not, you know, maybe comfortable bringing up publicly. But we know that that is all under the blood. But yet since you've been a believer... The religious games we've fallen into the trap of playing. The religious hypocrisy. The Phariseeism. Playing church. Neglecting Bible reading. Amening things. Judging people for not amening them, fellow believers, and then turning around and doing it and transgressing yourself. And we can stand in the fact that, oh, everything before we were born again, oh, yeah, you know, that will never wash ashore again. That's thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. But the mistakes we've made in our walk, it can show evidence that we perhaps don't know God's love as well as we think we do. Does anyone, can, can y'all relate to what I'm saying here? You know, Peter went through that. If you had approached Peter before the denial, Peter would have said, The love of Jesus, of course I know his love. I've been walking with him for some three and a half years. The doctrine, of course I know the doctrine. But when he fell and denied Christ that night, and he went out and wept bitterly, and him and Jesus met, and Jesus restored him publicly. Well, Peter, the last verse he wrote in 2 Peter 3, verse 18 was, to fellow believers, Grow in grace and in the knowledge 
of sweet Jesus Christ. Amen. So it's as if Peter was saying, look, I was that dude that thought I knew it all. But you know what? I didn't know my flesh as well as I thought I knew. I didn't know how deceitful my heart was as well as I thought I knew. I didn't know how the enemy could assault as well as I thought I knew. I didn't know the love of Jesus as well as I thought I knew. And he says, do this, grow in grace. My final word to you, and he wrote earlier in that epistle that he knew he was about to be martyred. You can always share what's dearest to a person's heart by what they share when they know they're not going to be sharing anymore. The last verse he says, is grow in this grace, grow in this grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense, grow in this grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. No wonder that Paul in Ephesians chapter five shared that when he heard of the faith of the saints, what did he begin to pray? that they would grow in the knowledge of the love of Jesus. And then he says, that passes mere intellectual knowledge. I'm sorry, that's Ephesians chapter 3. For someone to turn there, it's like, man, he's misquoting scripture already. Ephesians 3. Hosea comes along, and you see, for every New Testament principle, there's an Old Testament picture, right? Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, In light of how good God is, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. We know that New Testament principle, right? The Old Testament picture is Leviticus chapter 1, where you would bring this voluntary offering and present an entire bullock. And in presenting this whole burnt offering represented you laying your life down and giving yourself completely over to the Lord. You see, for every New Testament principle, there's an Old Testament picture. We see in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 3, that we would know the love of Jesus. And then we see in the New Testament some other verses. And you could write these in your notes. James chapter 4, verse 4. And 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. James chapter 4, verse 4 comes in and says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? James 4, verse 4. Please write down 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. The last thing John says in his first epistle is, little children, keep yourself from idols. So here's this New Testament teaching of friendship with the world is enmity with God. More so, friendship with the world is committing spiritual adultery. Then we see John come in and say, keep yourself from idols. For starters, we like to think that that's just Old Testament language, right? Spiritual adultery, idolatry, right? Until we see it reappear in the New Testament. The idea in the Greek in 1 John chapter 5, verse 21 is not just little children, keep yourself from idols, but little children who are already in the process of having idols in your life, stop it. What we need to see is what does the gospel look like in the face of us having these deceitful hearts, idolatry always wanting to brim up in our hearts, oftentimes idolatry getting the victory in our hearts. 
the world assaulting us, us being not only tempted by the world, but giving into the world and then even falling into the trap of trying to make our own hybrid Christianity, which has the world and, you know, uh, the word of God. What is the picture that we can find in the Old Testament that speaks to us of how the gospel applies to these hearts of ours that can be in all types of different places, not just all types of different places, but foul places, funky places. Does anybody understand what I'm saying here? When Jesus says out of the heart comes what? Beautiful thoughts and lovely thoughts and Disney World and planes, trains and automobiles and trips around the world and taking your friends. Is that what he said comes out of the heart? No, he said adultery, theft, murder, fornication. And I'm here from Philadelphia to tell you that that does not just apply to folks in Philadelphia. What does the gospel look like and how do we celebrate the gospel of Christ and the love of God, no matter what state we're in? And more than that, how do we allow the gospel to woo us and deliver us and bring us from whatever place we find ourselves in? That's what Hosea is here for. Can we please bring up this quote by Charles Spurgeon? Spurgeon said, when I thought God was hard, I found it easy to sin. But when I found God so kind, so good, so overflowing with compassion, I smote upon my breast to think that I could have ever rebelled against one who loved me so and sought my good. Let us grow in grace, let us grow in the knowledge of his love. Hosea is here as the Old Testament picture of the New Testament revelation of the gospel. Let's begin reading. It says, The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Would you underline that, please, if you're the underlined type? And also in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. You notice that there's kings of Judah listed and kings of Israel listed. Let's give a little bit of a history here as to what's going on because there's clearly two kingdoms, but yet it's one people. You guys know the story of how God's people was divided into two kingdoms due to sin. The north and the south, the north was called Israel, the south was called Judah, the north was called Israel or even Ephraim, right? Well, as we know that there was King David, really quick cliff note version, okay? Please follow. There was David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, a man after God's own heart and through him, Israel reached its most glorious state it had ever reached, yes? After David, he was succeeded by his son, Solomon. Solomon was given a mind where he was one of, he was the wisest man to walk the earth. But interestingly, while he had more wisdom than any other man, he did not have a heart that loved what God loved and hated what God hated because with all of that wisdom, he still disobeyed God and with a weakness for women, multiplied wives and just as God had warned, began worshiping all of the pagan, demonic gods that these women represented with their pagan backgrounds. 
after Solomon, his son Rehoboam succeeded him. But remember, right when Rehoboam came along, another one named Jeroboam came along. Jeroboam led 10 of the tribes away from Zion, away from Jerusalem. He led some 80% of God's people into apostasy. They moved and began worshiping in the north. They set up a golden calf. And they would make this mixture of idolatry and God's word, which is nothing but the, anything but worshiping Jesus and worshiping God in spirit and in truth, right? There's no wonder that not one good king ever came out of the north. It's no wonder that the north is where Jezebel was, where Ahab was. Not one godly king This is where the Lord sent Elijah. This is where the Lord sends Hosea. Before we even are jumping into the story of Hosea, already in verse 1, we're seeing the love of God and the gospel already shining forth. Look at these 10 tribes steeped in idolatry, not one godly king, Jezebel having her way and things growing only darker, And the Lord still loves them because he says in his word that he's married to the backslider. So what does he do? He sends prophets. He sends Elijah. Now he's sending Hosea. Now do you see why it's listing the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel? Hosea was prophesying in the north at the same time that Isaiah was prophesying in the south. Now you're starting to get a timeline here. He's sending Hosea to his people who are worshiping idols and committing spiritual adultery. What God would refer that to is spiritual prostitution. Remember, God called Abraham when he was a demon worshiper. He was an idolater. Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, Jacob begat the nation of Israel. The Israelites went into captivity in Egypt. God redeemed them by grace and declared his law at Mount Sinai. Please listen. Declared his law at Mount Sinai. The people heard his word and his people just redeemed by grace said, I do. We will obey. We will be your people. Moses then sprinkled blood as a symbol of a covenant. That began the marriage at Sinai, where Jehovah is now the husband and Israel is now the wife of Jehovah. You're following this? His wife, if you go back to Abraham, had a past, had a background. Is there anyone here today that has a past? Anyone here today that has a background? Anyone that has a real past, capital P-A-S-T? Amen. We all relate to that, right? Now do you understand the fact that Abraham worshipped idols? The fact that the Israelites, while in Egypt, worshipped idols. They had a past, but the Lord loved them, despite their past, redeemed them, and they said, I do. And the Lord said, don't do that no more. You play the harlot, you commit whoredom with other 
so-called gods, I'm now your one and only, you're my one and only, Deuteronomy 7, 7. You alone of all the nations of the earth have I chosen to be mine. Here, you have a past, your past is now covered, don't do that no more. The Israelites, Jehovah, you've redeemed us, we won't do that no more. Sounds like what takes place, right, when two decide to spend all of eternity, right, as one, right? But what did they do after saying, we won't go and be with other lovers anymore, We won't go and commit idolatry anymore. We will only love you, be devoted to you, and worship you. What did they do? They so quickly, how quickly, right? Even when Moses is up on top of the mount, they go right back immediately and start worshiping idols, which in God's view is cheating, which is playing the prostitute. So what does God do when he continues speaking to his people? This is what he would do in the Old Testament. As God is speaking to his people and his people are no longer hearing, they're listening, they're saying amen, but they're not listening, listening with their heart, right? Remember he said in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 30, Ezekiel, the people come as they're supposed to. They stand and sing like they're supposed to. They sit down when they're supposed to. They say amen when they're supposed to. Ezekiel, they love your preaching. They even talk about it to their friends. But he says in verses 30 through 32 of Ezekiel 33, they'll do all those things, but they don't obey any of it. What God began doing in the Old Testament is having his prophets do action sermons. Meaning because they were no longer really listening and obeying the word, he would have his prophets act out a sermon. So when they began looking and saying, what in the world is that prophet doing? It was God's attempt to so beg his people to hear him that he would have the prophets acting out through their own lives the message that they were preaching, but they weren't hearing. Do you get that? He had Isaiah walk dressed like a prisoner of war to show them what captivity would look like if they continued worshiping the gods of the pagan nations. He had Jeremiah walk around with a yoke on his shoulder to show them what bondage would look like if they continued worshiping and did not repent of worshiping idols. Had Ezekiel lay down on the ground and almost like with G.I. Joe little figures is playing war and surrounding with figures to show them what it would look like if a nation comes to lay a siege around them because they insist on worshiping the gods of these other nations. So what does he do with Hosea? To show Israel how much he loves them. Please follow me now. To show Israel how much he loves them. And to show Israel how much they are breaking his heart and how though even though heartbroken, he will never cease to love them and pursue them. He commands Hosea to marry a prostitute. Not only does he command Hosea to marry a prostitute named Gomer, but he tells Hosea up front, marry a prostitute who's... In other words, marry a woman who's going to have a past and she's going to make vows to you that she won't do it anymore. But after you're together and wedded, she's going to go out and continue to be a prostitute. He tells her more so she's going to bring home kids that she's going to have 
from cheating on you. And you're going to marry her. And you are going to never give up on her. And you are going to pursue her, though she continues to break your heart. And you are going to show Israel the ugliness of their sin. You're going to show them what they look like. You're going to also show them my love and my heart for them. Verse 2. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take to yourself a wife of whoredom, a woman with a past. But then he's saying, though she'll say I do, she's going to go right back to that past, even though she's going to tell you, as all do when they decide to be together, that she won't go back to that again. Is there anyone here today that can relate to that? Where you've come to the Lord, You walked away from this, this, and that. I could never go back to that. I can never do that. I can never act like that. I can never treat a person like that again. Lord, I'm with you. And just imitating Jesus is all I want to do and all I want to dream about. And though you say that to the Lord, he said, watch. The spirit is willing. But what? The flesh is weak. And then we look and we act as though weak's in some languages, mean strong. Oh, does that really mean weak? <laughs> you know, you know. In some, I think in some cultures, weak actually means strong. You know, whatever it is, we don't heed it. And then what happens? A little leaven leavens a whole lump. Things happen by degrees. Song of Solomon says, please take the little foxes, the little ones, the little foxes that are spoiling our grapes that are in harvest. And how many times we can look at that and we just let the little foxes right on in as though little foxes don't take and like a plague of locusts can decimate everything. Before you know it, we're back to things and thinking ways and entertaining things in our hearts. When we told the Lord we would never ever be like that, we would never think that way again, we would never act that way again, we would never be comfortable with that. Remember all of that? Then remember when you were like newly saved and, and just charged and full? And remember how judgmental you could even be? You look at other believers like, <laughs> she doesn't bring her Bible to church. <laughs> Man, you know, after service, you know, I've just been looking at you all service and um, I'm just going to pray for you, you know? And, but really, it's just like, you're really praying like the Pharisee. Lord, thank you that I'm not like this person, Right? But you know how Jesus said, whatever measuring tape you measure to another, Matthew 7, the same measuring tape will be measured back to you. That's why whenever you say, hey, you know what? Look at that family over there. They're always late. How can anyone be late to the house of the Lord? And then usually, because whatever measuring rod you hold, the same one comes back to you. Guess who ends up being late in like two months? Not only late, but now you're the one comfortable being late. As long as we get there for the message, right? The point is, And we're all laughing because we relate. We make compromises. We commit spiritual adultery. And you know, it would be easier. Our flesh would love it if like spiritual adultery and idolatry and God's jealousy were just left in the Old Testament. But then we come to James 4.4 and 1 John 5.2.1 And we see they are right there in the New Testament. And that just underscores Malachi 3.6. God is the same. He never changes. So here we are. And what do we need? If we could bring up that quote one more time by Spurgeon. It is knowing 
absolutely knowing God's love for us. How many right now are realizing that you've been missing the mark and how much deeper you need to go, go in knowing God's love for you? Right? We're living in this self-help era where even the church is falling into this trap of self-help and is doing everything except for looking to the gospel and the gospel alone as the answer for all that befalls us. Do you understand what I'm saying there? You can even see believers, believers in Bible teaching churches. The minute there's an issue going and receiving counsel and hey, we need to seek counsel. The Bible admonishes us to receive counsel, but it's looking for a counsel and the gospel's not even present in the midst as though the gospel is just a door we walk through. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is not just the door we walk through. It's the entire corridor. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse 10 says he has delivered us from so great a death justification and he does currently deliver us sanctification and we trust that one day he will fully deliver us that's glorification in heaven the gospel is not just the door it's the entire corridor he says Hosea I want you to show my people my love you're going to marry the representative of how they are a prostitute She's going to cheat on you and continue being a prostitute after telling you that she won't. Already, if there's anyone here tonight and you're under condemnation, you're condemning yourself because you can't believe that you've done what you told the Lord you would never do. You can't believe that you've acted in the way that you told the Lord you would never act. You can't believe that you're now beginning to repeat some things you saw in your family that you said, because, you know, of me being a believer, I'll never do that. And it doesn't necessarily show in you stop coming to church. It doesn't necessarily show in you ceasing to sing worship songs but it might show in something like you believing that God wants to do something amazing with your life. Hello? It may show in you believing that everyone else in this room could be rocked by a fresh filling and a baptism of the Holy Spirit, except for you. Because you're thinking, because of this, 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 and that. Is that making any sense? If this is resonating with you, oh yeah, we need that kind of an intro. Because if we don't give this kind of an intro, you know what we'll do? We'll read Hosea as just like, whoa, Hosea had a rough life. And someone will be like, what was the message about tonight? Hosea had a rough life. Or you'll read it like, oh, this is really good for my neighbor. Oh, this is really good for my friend. Oh, this is really good for my friend, you know, who's going through this right now, right? We need that kind of intro because we have an amazing ability of putting a a distance between us and certain portions of Scripture. No, we need this. Go take yourself a wife of whoredom who will have children of whoredom. He says, because the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now, there could be a part two to this message because Gomer's name in the Hebrew means completion. The very thing that would break his heart 
would be the very thing that God would see that would complete Hosea in drawing closer to the Lord. You see, the Bible says, do not sin. Sin not. But isn't it amazing in God's sovereignty, who makes all things work together for good, that just as Peter's denial is what caused him to experience the brokenness he needed so that he could truly rely on the Lord, that denial, in a way, completed him. You follow what I'm saying? All things going on in our lives, brothers and sisters, we have to, because of the gospel and gospel lenses, we should be able to look at these things and see how they all came along to complete us, to bring us to deeper brokenness, deeper understanding of the gospel, which then produces a deeper hatred of sin, a deeper love for holiness. These things that the enemy wants to destroy us, You see, the Lord's about taking stumbling blocks and turning them into stepping stones. The Lord's about taking lemons and turning them into lemonade. You see, you could tell when you really understand all of what the gospel means and all of what Romans 8.28 means when we realize that even all of these things, even the ugliest of things, play a role in our completion in understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ and really understanding what it means to decrease so he can increase. You ever meet Christians and they kind of believe that Jesus is the hero, capital H, but they're the hero, lowercase h? That's not biblical. You see, we gather here tonight to celebrate that there's only one hero in this room. One hero. So it says at the end of verse 3, she conceived and bare him a son, underline him. Why? Because in verse 6, it says, she conceived again and bore a daughter. Notice it doesn't say that she bore him a daughter because that's a daughter she had while going out and playing the prostitute. It must have been at least three years later because Jewish tradition was that a woman would nurse a child for three years and then after the child was weaned, then have another child. So this is sometime after the decision was made, I have a past, but I will know I will not cheat on you. And then slowly she went right back as a dog returns to the vomit and a pig returns to the mud. And Hosea stays with her. Would you please look at verse 8? When she had weaned no mercy. And as you could read on your own time, the names of the children were even given by God to communicate something to Israel. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. Notice it doesn't say she bore him a son. Are you getting this now? God told him up front, you're going to marry a woman with a past who's going to say I do and say I'll never do that again, but she's going to go back and live just like she did in her past. And more so, the first child will be yours. The second two will be children of whoredom. He told him that up front. Go marry a woman of whoredoms who will have children of whoredom. Of course, the language in this chapter is a message to Israel to warn them of all of the warnings of chastisement and judgment if they don't repent. Yes, this book shows you two things, the ugliness and the consequences of sin, but it also and more so highlights God's unchanging love and the power of the gospel. 
So in verse 10, when it's speaking of God and saying to them, you will be dealt with for your sin, look at verse 10. Yet, yet, underline yet, yet, yet the number of the children of Israel will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it will be said to them, you will be children of the living God. Of course, that's speaking to Israel of how that they would not repent. They would go into captivity that is looking forward to the future restoration of the nation. You see, the gospel hope is all through these books of the prophets. Chapter 2, as you can read, is the Lord speaking of how Israel had become so deluded by the sin. And let's just do a quick read. Lace up your kicks. This will be like a jog read, okay? Say to your brothers, chapter 2, verse 1, you are my people. And to your sisters, you have received mercy. Plead with your mother, verse 2. Plead, for she is not my wife. I am not her husband. Tell her that she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and make her as she was in the day when she was born and make her like a wilderness and make her like a parched land. Look at verse five. For their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. But look at verse eight. But she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Do you see what he's showing is that Israel, what one thing sin does is it makes you loco. Do you guys realize that? What sin does, it makes you loco. So much so that here Israel is speaking of all of these blessings that have come from God and is acting as though these things are now for Israel to use at her own disposal, forgetting where all of these things come from. One of the first things sin does is warps our perspective. Meanwhile, please understand that while Israel was living this way, please understand this, and this should get all of us super sober. While Israel was acting this way, please understand church was popping at that time. While Israel had the golden calf and all the idolatry and Jezebel and all of that, don't think the churches were empty. Church was going down. It was popping. That's why the Lord says, you know what I have to do to them? The Lord says, because Israel's trying to have this idolatry and have her cake and eat it too, you know what I got to do? Let's read. It says here, verse 11, I will put an end to all of her mirth all of her feasts, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and all her appointed feasts. Basically what the Lord is saying, because Israel is living any way it wants and having all of this idolatry, but still having morning devotions, still having Bible reading, still coming to church, but not understanding the spiritual adultery, not understanding my broken heart, You know that can happen. You're just reading the Bible and you're so impressed with how much Bible you know that the last thing you're even focused on when you're in the word is the heart of God. You're all about what's the mind of God, what's the precepts of God, but the heart of God is is not there. So what will God do? 
But when we're living in compromise and doing whatever we want, God will do one of the most amazing things, one of the most loving things he can do. He'll dry up your devotional life. All of a sudden, you're coming to church and something's just not feeling right. All of a sudden, you know, you're out in the world and it seems like everything's working, still getting promotions at the job, still got Christian radio on when you get in the car, but you got all your idolatry. But because just like Israel, our hearts get really loco, we don't even think it's idolatry anymore, especially when we can look around and see so many other believers living in compromise. And it's like, well, everything is good. And the Lord will interrupt our regularly scheduled program. And all of a sudden, devotion's just not feeling the way it felt. Fasting. All of a sudden, hitting a brick wall, no desire to pray, and the Lord will dry it up. Well, doesn't that line up with Psalms 32 when King David said, when I tried to keep my sin silent, my moisture turned into the drought of summer. He says, I went from like rainforest dew to like being in the middle of the desert. Have any of you experienced that where the Lord will actually do that? where your prayers go from feeling like they are just like storming the gates of heaven to your prayers feel like they're just falling to the ground as soon as they leave your lips. And what it does is just like a check engine light. It makes you say, wait a second, let me run the inventory. And the Holy Spirit is so faithful there, isn't he? To Now that God's got our attention, now that we're done being so impressed with ourselves, the Holy Spirit is so faithful to say this. Oh, oh Lord, I, well, I forgot. I forgot. I forgot about idolatry. I forgot the love of the world, you know, as being an enemy. You know, I, I, I forgot. I, I, I forgot about thou shalt love the Lord with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I forgot, I, I forgot that it was agape love. I thought it was just like phileo love for you, right? And then he says this. In chapter 2, verse 14. And this is going to be the highlight verse of the night as I begin my first closing. (laughs) Hosea chapter 2, verse 14. He says, therefore, and please, please follow this. Therefore, behold. He says, check this out. Why is he saying behold really means check this out? Do y'all say that here? On the west, on the east coast, yo, check this out, man. You know, you get a new system in your car, yo, check this out, you know. The Lord here is saying, behold, check this out. Meaning, you see, according to us as sinners who know that we deserve the justice and judgment of God, right? If you read all of chapter 2 to this point, you would think that it was like, whoa, penalty box, lifer in prison, spiritual lifer. You know what I mean? Saved, but spiritual lifer, right? disqualified, benched, benched forever, red card every time you show up, like soccer, just even, you just even raise your hand for ministry, angels, red card, right? But the gospel, the love of God, look at how Israel's behaving just like Gomer is acting. And he says this, behold, check this out. I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness. And we're still saying into the wilderness for what? You know, the paddle, right? Right? A spanking? Look, I will bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards. And I will make the valley of Achor, it means trouble. 
I will make the valley of Achor into a door of hope. My brothers and sisters, you could tell if you're getting with this word of God here right now, because you should start feeling some old, like, like a hallelujah, just wanting to just, just, just temperatures rising inside. Like that's our God. That's the gospel right there. We are begging sometimes for some punishment, right? Remember you go to the beach, you play chicken with the water, right? It says, don't tempt the Lord thy God. Well, we play chicken with God. And in a religious context, which is even uglier, and have a Bible verse that we're taking all out of context, justifying our anger issues, right? Remember in the beginning, you trembled when you even had, you thought you might've had an angry thought. When you first got saved, you woke up, dreamt that you were angry, repented for even dreaming of being angry. Now, all of a sudden, you know, you get angry. You got a verse for that. Well, God is a God of wrath. That's righteous indignation. Even Jesus flipped tables. You wouldn't, things that we wouldn't have done. And with all that being said, what does the Lord do? One, he steps in and he'll dry up that whack stuff we're doing because it gets us nowhere. And the Lord wants us to walk in victory more than we could ever want it for ourselves. Do you believe that? The Lord wants victorious Christian living more for you than you could ever want it for yourselves. The Lord wants you to be filled with his spirit and walking in the power of his spirit and be able to say like David, my cup runneth over more than you could ever want it for yourself. So what does he do? He says, I'm going to dry up all of that weird stuff. And yes, we, we were real good at taking good things and making them weird. That's how the Pharisees were born. If you check history, the Pharisees started as a revival, as a movement where people were keeping it real and it got weird. He dries up our weird stuff. That's what you see in Hosea chapter two, verse 11. I'll put an end to all of the mirth, all of the, 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 in the joy that's coming from something man-centered and not the oil from heaven from above. I will take away and dry up the feast, the new moons, the Sabbaths, the appointed feast. But then I will bring her into the wilderness and I will speak tenderly to her. It's at that point that we're ready to start meditating on the gospel again. And no longer, we, we get rid of, we, all of a sudden, wait, we, we, we started acting like the gospel was for people that were in like new beginners class. No, wait, what, the gospel, me? No, no, I, no, that's new beginners class. That's for you. That's down the hall. And all of a sudden we're like, Lord, would you remind me of what this is all about again? Would you remind me of what it means for you to be my hero, my shepherd, the bishop of my soul, my anchor, my rock, my hope, my belt, my buckler, my gladness, my joy, my sanity, my peace. And all of a sudden, we're willing for these things to become real to us again, that all of a sudden, that we've just slowly relegated to being bumper stickers and T-shirts. I will bring them into the wilderness and speak tenderly. And I will make the valley of Achor into a door of hope. The, the, all the troubles that our sin brought, all the troubles that our idolatry brought, all the troubles that our lukewarmness brought, it then becomes a door of hope. Why? Because we come to a place of brokenness 
where we're looking to Jesus and Jesus alone all over again. Not Jesus and our spiritual resume, not Jesus and how many mission trips we've been on, not Jesus and how gifted we are, not Jesus and how many pats on the back we get when we're in church, just Jesus and our hope in him. And he says, and there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. Chapter three, and this is going to be my second closing. It says, and the Lord said to me, look at this. He says to Hosea, listen, please go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and barley. Basically, Gomer leaves Hosea, not just cheats on him and comes back pregnant, not just cheats on him again and comes back pregnant, but now leaves him with all of the children, brokenhearted, leaves 100% to go back into that lifestyle. The world takes her, spits her back out. How do you know? Because the Lord says, I want you to further show Israel what they look like, even though they think they're having a religious good time. And I want you to show Israel how brokenhearted I am and how much I love them. I want you to go find her and buy her back still. Wouldn't this be the perfect worldly example of three strikes and you're out? No? Would this not be the perfect example of three strikes you're out? Bring home one kid from cheating, strike one. Bring home another kid from cheating, two. Run and leave full scale, and now the world done, gotcha, and now you're a slave on the prostitution auction block, three. Is there anyone here that feels you're the three? Is there anyone here tonight that feels you're the three? Is there anyone here that has a teenager at home? a brother, a sister, a prayer partner that's just fallen off the map because they feel they're the three. Anyone you know that was once so on fire for the Lord in ministry and now they've just kind of fallen away. Anyone you used to co-labor with and now they're MIA because they're somewhere believing they're the three? Oh, the enemy doesn't play with that condemnation thing. They need to see this. We need to see this. Not only does he go and buy her from the prostitution auction block, but she's being sold for 15 shekels. You see, Exodus 23 said the price of a servant was 30 shekels. It means that not only was she on the prostitution auction block because the world had just chewed her up and spit her out, but she's on the clearance rack. 15 shekels. It's the red dot special rack. It's the, it's, the, it's the one where people even looking for prostitutes don't even want those prostitutes. And look that Hosea goes and says, you are mine. And though you will break my heart and though you will fail me a million times, I, my love will not fail you. You don't think some people grabbed Hosea when they saw him walking around heartbroken, showing them the heart of Jehovah. You don't think people said, Hosea, I don't get it. 
I don't get it. How can you continue to love someone who breaks your heart like this all the time? You don't think that happened? And I imagine Hosea's answer was like this. You know, that's not the question that blows me away the most. What blows me away is not how I could continue to love this woman who continues to cheat on me and breaks my heart. No, no. The question that's blowing me away is how can the Lord continue to love us though we continue to do this to him? So you see, the Lord's love is the love that we are to respond to with loving him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when we fall short and we do all the time, it is resting in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So now let's bring into this context Romans 8.32. He who spared not his own son for us how will he not now freely give us all things? I can remember a part of my walk where I acted like asking for the baptism of the Holy Spirit was a bigger deal than asking for Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. I understood that, oh, for Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, you provide the sinner, God provides the Savior. But all of a sudden with receiving the Holy Spirit, it says it's free. I understood Jesus was free, but how come with the promise of the spirit, I immediately thinking of how I have to work for it and whether my resume qualifies me for it or not. What have I been doing for the Lord lately? When the reality is, as you say, you know, the Lord said without him, we could do nothing. The Holy Spirit is what I need if I'm even going to begin to serve him as I ought to serve him. Lord God, I'm here agreeing that I could do nothing but fail. I need your free spirit so that I can begin to do anything right. Not the other way around. What have I been doing right so that I can feel entitled to ask for the Holy Spirit? You guys know how we fall in that trap. If you've been reading the Bible all week, you come in church like, yo, I'm about business today. Right? I've been in that word all week. I've been praying with my wife, praying with the kids. Man, hands up, Holy Spirit. And you feel like, mmm. But if you haven't read the Bible all week, been arguing with your wife all week, snapping at the kids all week, you come in and it's like, well, you know, praise God. And you might raise your hands, but no, you don't have the same confidence. You see, our confidence is to be only in the love of God and the promises of God. Now do you see why Paul said to the Galatians, who put a spell on you? Having begun in the spirit, are you now going to try to finish this in your own strength? Who's bewitched you? You know, I'm going to close, and this will be my third closing. What kind of love is this? And there's some points I wrote down. What kind of love is this? And the love of God should leave us speechless every time. What kind of love is this? Well, as Hosea is just the Old Testament picture of the New Testament declaration, it's a love that takes us in fully aware of our filthy past lives and still enters into a perfect union with us. Hosea chapter 1 verse 2. 
It is a love that already knows all the ways we will spurn, reject, compromise, and cheat on this love, and yet still takes us to be his anyway. Hosea chapter 1 verse 2. It is a love that makes itself vulnerable. It's an omnipotent love, yet a love that can be wounded by the objects of his love. Hosea 1-2. It is a love that always sees where we currently are, no matter how ugly a place it may be, yet at the same time sees and looks forward to where we will be and where he will ultimately take us. Hosea 1-10. Psalms 138, verse 8, Philippians 1, 6, Jude 24 and 25. It is a love that takes no delight in disciplining and chastening us even when it needs to happen. Hosea chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. It is a love that knows the depths of our foul, self-centered, demonic thoughts, yet still desires us. Hosea 2, 5. It is a love that though wounded by our love of sin and evil, will still intervene in the midst of the very evil we've chosen in order to keep us from fulfilling all of our evil desires. Woe. Hosea chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. It is a love that waits and refuses to move on and abandon us. Hosea 2, 7. It is a love that will dry up our bogus religious activities, routines, and empty devotions so that we might begin truly recognizing and missing our need for the real thing. Hosea 2, verses 9 through 13. After emptying us and finally getting our attention, it is a love that will still patiently speak tenderly with us and offer fresh hope in the face of our troubles. Hosea 2, 14 and 15. It is a love that will even go so far as to take away our taste for sin while fixing our appetite on knowing the Lord like never before. Please read Hosea chapter 2, 17 through 20. I'm going to read that again. It is a love that will even go so far as to take away our taste for the sin while fixing our appetite on knowing the Lord like never before. Hosea 2, 17 through 20. And when we have completely walked away from this love and chosen the lie of sin in the world, even after the world has dirtied us up, used us up, and spit us back out, this love will still come and find us in our worst of places and buy us back, even at clearance rack prices, because we are his prized possession. Hosea 3, verses 1 through 3. Lastly, this love will never fail. This love is the gospel, Christ loving us and dying for us and living to intercede for us. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Can we bring up that Spurgeon quote, please, one more time? And big shout out to the AV crew. Uh, The people behind the booth is kind of like the DJ in the party. Sometimes you only even know who the DJ is when the music, you know, cuts off. But they're the ones keeping the party going. Thank you, AV crew, for what you do. Can we get that quote up one more time by Charles Spurgeon? When I thought God was hard, 
I found it easy to sin. How many fall in that trap? Well, that's this, it's a hard walk. I already done did this. You know, I'm already going to be punished. I'm already disqualified. I might as well just go on. I'm, I already knew God wasn't going to use me mightily. I might as well just go on and do that. How many fall in that trap, right? God's angry with me because you know, I'd be angry with me too. Might as well just go on and keep doing what I'm doing. Might as well, I'm already so buried in my career. I've already got so much regret in my past. Well, all I know is how to make money. Might as well just stay buried in my career, right? When I thought God was hard, I found it easy to sin. How we perceive God is going to play a role in how we react to sin in our lives and in our hearts. But when I found God so kind, so good, so overflowing with compassion, I smote upon my breast to think that I could ever have rebelled against one who loved me so and sought my good. We are loved, we are loved, we are loved. Song of Solomon says, this love is a most vehement flame. All the waters on the planet cannot drown the fire of this love. Now do we see why the Lord says, set me as a seal upon your heart. Set me as a mark upon your arm. And Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. In the Amplified Bible, it says, and that you may come to know through personal experience the love of Christ, which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience, that you may be filled throughout your being to all the fullness of God so that you may have the richest experience of God's presence in your lives, completely filled and flooded with God himself. Now to him who's able to carry out his purpose and do superabundantly more than all that we can ask or think infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes, or dreams according to his power that works in us. You see, you could tell if this message has hit you in the right place because your wish list should already be growing. Lord, here's my wish list, Lord. Lord, I need you to set me free. Lord, I need you to take this love of the world out of my heart. I need you, oh Lord, to make me new. I need you to create in me a clean heart. That's when we start coming to church with expectation. And you see, no longer is it a matter of, well, well, who's speaking before I go to church? Guest speaker, Philly, like, I don't know who that guy is. You know, in the first 10 minutes, oh, I don't even like the jokes. He mentioned Purdue. Yeah, yeah. No, Jesus is here. And when we start to understand this, it's a matter of, wait a second, I'm coming with expectation. And we start understanding the depths of what the psalmist meant when he said, I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. Why? Because the Lord of the house is in the house of the Lord. And the Lord of the house is here to love us and to bless us beyond what we can imagine. And then we understand James 4, you have not sometimes because you ask not. And we ask not because when the rubber meets the road, we are not really believing that we are loved this much and that our daddy who runs everything says to me, ask of me. Amen. Amen. Praise God. (laughs) Father, we just come before you now and Lord God, 
we're just rejoicing because scales have fallen from our eyes and we gladly repent, Lord, of downplaying your love. We repent, Lord, of chasing other lovers, other things. Lord God, when you love us so, and Lord, we repent of saying grieving the spirit as just a theological concept and downplaying how much our sin breaks your heart, Lord. Lord, we see you in your gospel light, Lord, and we thank you for this moment. We thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit testifying of the sweetness and the beauty and the love of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, would you please fall upon all of us in this place? Lord, we've been asking for crumbs. When, Lord, when your word makes clear, Lord, that all things are ours in Christ. Lord, would you fill us with your spirit now, Lord? That's, where the, that's the root of all of our problems anyway, Lord. It's not asking for your spirit and not believing for the free gift of your spirit, Lord. Fall upon us, Holy Spirit. Fall upon Calvary Chapel, South Bay, Holy Spirit. Fall upon this neighborhood, Holy Spirit. Lord, when you get big, things get small. Fall upon the gangs, Lord, in the surrounding area with your convicting, loving Holy Spirit. Fall upon this region, Lord. Fall upon our youth, Lord. Lord God, thank you, Lord. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. And Lord, your bomb of Gilead has gone forth tonight, Lord, and healed someone of deep condemnation. Your bomb of Gilead has gone forth tonight, Lord, and healed someone of deep stagnation. Your bomb of Gilead has gone forth tonight, Lord, and delivered someone from religious monotony, pretending one thing on the outside, but inside just feeling dry. Lord, thank you for who you are. We love you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord. And we just blow kisses to you, O King. Have your way in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.